Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. We discussed this pre-show. I was supposed to do the intro this time, not you. We were supposed to switch it around. We were going to change it up, and you had to jump ahead. No, we didn't discuss crap. <laughs> Go ask Mattia Bonotto. We didn't discuss crap. <laughs> I don't trust you anymore. Wow. <laughs> How long were you planning that one? Since about lap five. <laughs> the Russian Grand Prix. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> Fun, so huh? go for it. Here you go. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the position back. Here you go. It's all yours. You're not supposed to give me the position back. That's not the way this works. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the irate monogas, and you're supposed to be the um, unemotional German. Oh, okay. Are, are you, are you going to go multi-21, Seb? Multi-21? No, because I'm not an Aussie <laughs> <laughs> that's now retired. <laughs> now, I just thought it would be a little fun to mix it up a little bit. Okay. But you do have the first story, so I have to throw it back to you. <laughs> well, there's that too. So think back the german grand prix 1936 sicily that's not the german grand prix <laughs> oh <clears throat> sorry the, the the key piece there was german grand prix <laughs> i just, sorry i channeled just, sophia from golden girls just a hint there was no german grand prix in 1936 in sicily well <laughs> in anywhere including germany for that matter <laughs> wow <laughs> I channel a little Sophia. So, uh-huh. back to the German Grand Prix. You may recall, or then again, you may not recall, that after the German Grand Prix, in all of the chaos that had occurred at the German Grand Prix, that both of the Alfa Romeos were awarded at the end of the race 30-second time penalties. Correct. And we talked about this. Um, in particular, it was... Frederick Vasseur, who, who, and, and his reason why they should not have gotten it. My, my favorite was his description of the issue that caused this. <clears throat> As you recall, he said that the team suffered a dysfunction of the clutch that was beyond their control. Now you remember. Yes. Now you remember. The dysfunction that. of the clutch. Yeah. Yeah, it says clutch dysfunctions. I mean, I've heard there's like pills for that or something. I, screws. Screws. Definitely <laughs> screws. But what Fred had to say was, and, and this is back in Germany to refresh your, your memory, the situation arose during the laps we spent behind the safety car ahead of the standing start. We suffered a dysfunction of the clutch that was beyond our control, and we will further investigate the issue. We respect the FIA's process and the stewards' work, but we'll appeal this decision as we believe we have the grounds and evidence to have it overturned. Uh-huh. So what had happened was in the rain and everything that was going on, they saw in the FIA through their monitoring system saw indications that the software that was controlling the clutch was um, basically appeared to be acting like traction control, mm. which of course is illegal. Not allowed to do that. They've been seeing this like <clears throat> faux traction control thing a lot coming up this year they have 
And as a result of this, both Antonio Giovinazzi's car and Kimi Raikkonen's car um, got 30-second time penalties post-race, which knocked them back from 7th and 8th to 12th and 13th. So Alpha, as mentioned, put in their appeal and very quickly had their appeal dismissed. Very quickly. Very quickly. See, there's one problem in that time penalties that are awarded at the end of the race are not not appealable. appealable. (laughs) That's that little bitty problem about what you can appeal and what you cannot appeal. Right. See also Montreal and Seb. Right. Okay. So, yeah, they, they lost the appeal that they were not supposed to bring forward to begin with. Regardless of the reason they lost the appeal. Do, do we think that that's in the fairness regulations? I mean, let's be honest mm-hmm. here. In the fairness regulations, time penalties post that get added on to the end of a race are not appealable. But if the cause of the time penalty is wrong, like there's a... Right. reason that you made a mistake because you have a dysfunction of the clutch there's yeah. <laughs> sorry you have a clutch dysfunction <laughs> um you, you you lost me right there i <laughs> you distracted me with clutch dysfunction i i can't i can't go any further but if the the cause of the mistake was in error the cause of the penalty is an error the fact that you cannot appeal said error just because of the time that the penalty was applied right seems very unfair you know something happens in the last lap of the race and they hand down a penalty a time penalty as a result of it <clears throat> you lose the ability to appeal right and yeah it, it does seem a bit questionable it seems unfair, is what it seems. You you mean like being able to pit under a virtual safety car? And gain an advantage? That's, that's intended to neutralize the field, as it were? And gain an advantage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be also unfair. But we listened to a lot of Paul DeResta today try to explain all the different ways they could try to neutralize that. Paul DeResta during this sport? Yeah, it was, it was DeResta who was going on about it, and I don't understand why they don't go and close the pit lane. And, and he's right. Yeah, just close the pit lane. But... but but there's a whole lot of issues with the virtual safety car system in general in, again, supposed to neutralize the field and lock everybody in at, in, in, at the set distances that they are from the person in front of them. And yet we see events like a Nico Rosberg managed to close a gap to a Daniel Ricciardo under a virtual safety car. Yeah. And it's totally legal. I know. Well, you've never been a huge fan of the virtual safety car to begin with. I mean, you hate it. You have come out on record of having a mild <clears throat> dislike towards the virtual safety car. I hate it. So you're saying it is not your favorite thing. Not at all. I would much rather have a regular safety car. And why do you prefer the regular safety car over the virtual safety car while Um, we're exploring this topic? The biggest one, I think, is because the rules behind the safety car make sense to me. 
Okay. The rules, but I mean, what they had originally pitched to us was going to be the virtual safety car and how the virtual safety car was going to work was that when they triggered a virtual safety car period, everybody's engines would get throttled down and it would be like a pit speed limiter would, would get kicked in. And their speed would be centrally managed. Yeah, they could slow down to go into a corner, but they would not be able to accelerate above a certain speed. Mechanically limit, limited or electronically limited by just the triggering of just like when they drive into a pit, uh, the pit lane. There's the pit speed limiter that automatically kicks on. That's kind of how it was, was explained to us that this was going to happen. And that's not how it works. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we see everybody driving around slowly, but it's not maintaining gaps between people. It's You still have the same pit lane advantage. Now, I don't mind the pitting under a regular safety car. I think it... it, it from a strategy perspective, if you've got to pull out the safety car, especially because of what it does with the grid and it bunches everybody up, and um, you know they can keep they'll keep the safety car out long enough to allow lapped cars to unlap themselves, which you don't get in a virtual safety car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, it does all of those things to change how the field is running and, and tighten up the field that a virtual safety car does not do that I don't necessarily have a problem with people pitting under a safety car. But you have a problem with them pitting under a virtual safety car? I have problems with the virtual safety car, period. Okay. So here's a question for you. Okay. Now, the one... I should preface this with saying, for the most part, I agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of the virtual safety car. Um, I like the theory behind it. I like the idea that you could maintain the gaps. Um, I like that idea. That's if they actually did it. If it worked. But <clears throat> the other piece of this is the other part that got pitched for the virtual safety car that I really do like is this idea of being able to throw up a safety car when they can't get the car out, the actual safety car out, to get it in the right spot on the track. So they have to put the safety car yeah. in. Where it enters the track is where it enters the track. You are under safety car conditions until, even without the car sitting in front of you. Yeah. That's the part I like about it. Your, your thought there is, you know, the cars are in sector one. Somebody goes off in sector three. <clears throat> the safety car can't go and join the field until the field makes it through sector three and past the incident. Right. So you can throw a virtual safety car to slow everybody down before they hit sector three. And then switch it over to a safety car. As a precursor. That makes sense. It's, it's more of the, as a precursor to a real safety car to make sure that things stay safe. Um, that I have, I do like about the virtual safety car. But uh, I'm sure this tangent was not in our show notes. Um, it it wasn't. It wasn't even the next story. Wow. I don't think virtual safety cars were in any of our stories today, were they? They were not. We were talking about penalties, though. and, and Well, I did tell to... you that we did agree to shake things up yeah. in our pre-show. <laughs> so, Well, according to Jean Todd, FIA president, still FIA president, um, he is playing down talk that new teams could join the grid in 2021, which wasn't a huge surprise to me because Ross Braun's been saying for like months that they didn't want anybody to join before 2022. Correct. 
Um, but according to John Todd, there was talk that maybe somebody might be considering joining the grid in 2021. He says, on the other hand, that um, no, um, they have not received um, any, well, they haven't been in contact with any contender that the FIA felt was good enough level to warrant the entries being opened. Because that's the other thing, is in order for the FIA to open up entries for new teams, they have to feel that there are contenders who are going to present a strong enough package to survive Formula One. So I think that what John Todd is telling us... There's no Haas on the, on the horizon. Well, that our package was not very strong. Well, ours wasn't submitted. I gave you all the paperwork. You did, and I filled it out, and I sent it to the email address you gave me, and it came back as undeliverable. That is not true. It came back as undeliverable. I, you were supposed to print it and put it in an actual mailbox. Um. Well, I didn't give you an email address. I, I tried that too, but when I put on the envelope the FIA and then put it in the mailbox, uh, the mail lady had a problem with that. Not the least of which is because she looked at it and she said, so who's the FI? <laughs> She's not a Formula One. She's not a motorsports fan. But she didn't know who the FIA was. <laughs> Seriously, I gave you one job. Now, there is talk that at least one person does have an interest in, in having a team kick off in 2021, which John Todd is saying they haven't spoken to, they're not interested in speaking to, they don't think that they have the wherewithal and really want them to, to maybe consider if they could possibly do it, that they should try 2022 because they don't want them in 2021 with all the, the rules changes and everything else to just jump in. Um, they, they don't even want them. They don't want to consider it. But according to Autosport, the Pantera Team Asia outfit, which is led by Benjamin Duran, who is the ex-managing director of the SMP Racing Sports Car Operation, wants to apply to join in 2021. Did his mail lady refuse to deliver the packet to the fire? I don't know. I, I, I did <laughs> not ask him. Maybe he had more of an address than we did, other than the FIA. <laughs> well, it also said France. It did? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't think did, that helped. Did you not put that on the envelope? <laughs> I think I put somewhere in France. <laughs> Maybe Paris. <laughs> As long as you didn't try to send it to Brackley or something. Yeah. <laughs> so. <sighs> we are never getting our name on an F1 car. You know this, right? Well, maybe you should call Gunther. Well, only if he's willing to, like, actually sign the contract that says that we could do it with $5 in pocket lint and not $35 million that we don't have. Okay, maybe that's Monisha. <laughs> <laughs> she's never been known to add really well but <laughs> speaking of gunther yes gunther um even though they have parted ways Haas and gunther steiner have parted ways 
with Rich Energy. Oh, I was waiting for you to tell us that Haas had parted ways with Gunther Steiner. And no, I'm like, that no, not, no, they that didn't. has not happened. But Gunther Steiner and Haas have parted ways with Rich Energy. Rich Energy is apparently still looking for ways to cause problems at Haas. I thought William Story, the problem causer, was ousted from Rich Energy and that Rich Energy was now being managed by some more sane human beings. Well, he was. But after hearing this, I got to kind of wonder as to whether or not Richard Story gave up access to the Rich Energy Twitter account. Well, considering his name is William Story, no. Or, or William Story. Thank I you. don't know who Rich Story and <laughs> Richard Story is, but yeah. So last week, Rich Energy on their feed, on their Twitter feed, posted, We wish at Haas F1 team the best of luck in negotiations selling the team to Saudi investors. An excellent team and great investment. Hashtag Haas F1. Hashtag sale. Hashtag business. Hashtag F1. Hashtag Singapore GP. Hashtag rich energy. Hashtag better than Red Bull. Hashtag Saudi. <laughs> hashtag Middle East. Hashtag motorsport. Hashtag BS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gunther has, has come out and said, no, we're not selling the team. They don't know what they're talking about. Go away. Yeah, he's wanted them to go away for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, go away, but leave your $35 million that you don't have. Yeah. He says he knows nothing about any discussions with individuals from Saudi Arabia. When uh, Gunther was talking to Autosport, he said, I don't know how to respond. I wish the investors also good luck and thank you. I don't know them. And referring back to the rich energy folks. Um, he is insistent that Gene Haas, while Gene has expressed some frustration at the way the team has been unable to make the progress that he hoped for, um, that he remains committed to F1 for now. And, and honestly, you have to go back to this is a brand new team with next to no sponsors and within what three years they were battling for fourth in the constructor championship they've been solid contenders in the mid-pack yeah i mean in terms of progress they hope for i think most people were expecting that they'd be bust by now well yeah they wouldn't have that, that they still wouldn't have a point and they would have folded. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Three, four years ago, when they started out as the Ferrari customer team, Ferrari fan team, let's put it that way. That's what they should be, the Ferrari fan team. <laughs> um, when they started out, I had such hopes for them. They were such a great, humble team. Yeah. They like our target for year one was nine points and they got that in the first race Mm -hmm. and i was like oh they're being reasonable and they're humble and they're scrappy and it's gonna be awesome and here's an american team and all this stuff in four years that yeah they've been fighting for fourth they've had great success but and i get that they're hungry and they want more 
But there's like no acknowledgement of that humility that they started off with. Like, we're just really happy to be here and we hope that we get nine points for the whole season. Well, this this far into the history of the organization, you can't just be happy to be here anymore. No. They- and, and especially with, when you're looking at that they've gone so far as they've fought for fourth and they've and I think they've gotten fourth at least once yeah it's not just the we're just happy to be here it's the we want to be leading the mid-pack I understand that and I I respect the desire to lead the mid-pack but they're also not doing some of the key things replacing Kershaw um (laughs) that needs to be done to lead the mid-pack you know they're still trying to act like a team that's just happy to be there, but they're also wanting to lead the mid-pack. There is a yeah. serious disconnect in your, like, commitment. You, you, you don't turn around and, and keep your non-performing driver because, well, our car sucks too. Yeah. That that was, yeah. So, in closing, from Gunther, he says, no, you cannot buy it. He says, <laughs> it is one of Rich Energy's tweets, and I don't answer to tweets or anything. It's not us. I don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't answer to tweets, but he just answered to tweets. So now, there. Now, judging from what we have seen of Gunther in the Netflix series, um, there might have been some additional words there that we don't want to add just so we can keep our clean sheet. Oh, you mean like a Vettel radio message? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> All righty. So over at Red Bull, the big question is, will Alex Alvin get to keep his seat or will they bring in somebody else? What do you actually think? Um, well, when you start from the garage and then you end up beating your boss's prediction for where you're going to end up, that's not a bad argument for keeping your seat. I mean, Christian Horner said that Alex Albin... Um, that they thought it was realistic for him to be in the top six. And, and while, yes, he was in the top six, Albin finished in fifth. See? Which, okay. Okay, but he also had a pretty nasty cash in uh, he did. Q1. He wasn't the only one who, who had crashes leading up to the race. But the only one in Q1. Yeah. He made the mechanics have to rebuild his car. He did, but you know the other thing is if you look at the last three races, mm-hmm. well, not count, yeah, three races. So Singapore, Monza, and Spa. He was the top points getter at the team. That should get you your seat. It, it, as much as you know, Max Verstappen is clearly the favorited. I don't want to say number one driver, the favorited driver at Red Bull. Oh, he's the favorite child. He's not yet 22. He gets to call him the favorite child. You can call him the favorite child, but at Alex Albin's first three races at Red Bull, and he 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 outfinishes, he outplaces Verstappen. Well, well, you know, we have to be very mindful that there were engine penalties going on. Everybody was hampered by various and sundry things. It wasn't the engine penalties. That caused him to finish ahead of Max Verstappen. It was Max Verstappen either not finishing the race or bouncing off of other cars, as Max is wont to do at times. Max does like to bounce off of other cars. He he, he does do that. Um, 
yes, he, he is a fun driver to watch, but uh, he does find himself in incidents. And Alex ended up being the top point scorer for those races. So I think, yeah, Alex is, is doing what he needs to to hold on to the seat. He, he's not max level. But Max is saying that he does not want to be the deciding factor to, for the Red Bull seat. He does not want the team to come to him and say, well, who do you want to go and drive with? Mm. Which, okay, that's fair. I will say this. We have definitely seen a bit of maturing from Max. Yes. You know, he's not threatening to headbutt, headbutt anybody. He has not done that for several races now. You know, I, I, I haven't even heard in a couple of... Actually, I don't think I've heard this season him accusing the officials of trying to ruin racing because they gave him a penalty. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's starting to mature a little. Well, I'm quite sure that that psychotherapist that Red Bull is paying for for him <laughs> is doing her job. So, moving on. Mercedes. Yes. Um, kind of, in a way, it's kind of stunning news to me. I, actually, I think what's more stunning is the fact that Mercedes announced this. Hmm. So Mercedes announced that they have um, disciplined three employees and dismissed four for via- following a breach of the team's diversity and equality policy at the Brackley headquarters. And we don't know what happened to cause all of this but i'm surprised that mercedes even admitting to something like this and they're putting out there i mean yes it shows a degree of corporate responsibility and that they're willing to stand up and say yes this happened but i'm surprised that they put out a statement and said that yeah we let people go because they they weren't following this policy maybe it's a it's a piece of the four people that are let go that they want to get out in front of those people shopping jobs at other uh, teams. It, you and, know, it, it could be, but given how tight the paddock is, I mean, you know that folks are talking to each other, and if all of a sudden four people are now on the job market from Mercedes, you got to think that Whoever they go to is going to pick up the phone, at least if it's a Formula One team. They're going to pick up the phone and go, okay, why is Bob not working for you? Well, and the question is whether or not they would be able to answer that question. I mean, even in the States, we have rules that say there's a limit to what we can tell people. So there's a way to thwart that by going out and publicly saying, there are four people that are going to be on the job market I'm not naming them or anything, but, you know. They worked at Brackley. They worked at Brackley, and they they probably do not belong in the sport. I mean, that's kind of the reason, yeah. I would think, is a way to get in front of it and get around it. Plus, it's good PR that they're serious. And it's a message to everyone else in the company that this is not tolerated. Yeah. And that's the other piece. Well, is what you don't thing. know is what was the breach, who was the complaining party, and how how does it how pervasive was it to have to come out and say we do not tolerate this? But 
you can do that and you can make that very same statement to your employees without going and doing a press release. You can do it without a press release, but what means more? Yeah. What's putting your money where the mouth your mouth is? Yeah. Hey, there, there's one thing to call a corporate all hands meeting and saying this is important to us. We don't tolerate this. This is what we did, and this is what happened. And well, it, don't it, you do this. And there's something else <clears throat> to say it in front of the entire world. It is, but also having that message of we just let having that corporate meeting and saying we just let people go because of this, and that's how serious we are. That still sends a pretty strong message. Oh, I think it does send a strong message. As opposed to just standing up and saying, don't do this. This is not what we stand for. It's the, this is not what we stand for. We just fired people. Well, and you also put the three people that were disciplined on notice mm -hmm. by making it so public. Okay, so other Mercedes news. Um, Ron Dennis has got to be storming around his amazingly clean mansion. That's it, precisely 68 degrees. Yes. He's probably precisely stomping around, screaming at just the right decibel level to indicate the appropriate level of disgust and frustration and annoyance at the news that McLaren will be shifting back to Mercedes engines for 2021. Well, I, for one, think this is a really good thing for McLaren. I mean, they had a really good marriage. And then they decided to, like, break <clears throat> up for some new hot thing that didn't work out. Well, And now they're going to get back together. But I understand the reason why McLaren did it. Okay. So remember, okay, when McLaren last had, with the exception of the last year of that relationship, when McLaren last ran Mercedes engines, McLaren was essentially the works Mercedes team and were treated like the works Mercedes team. Even when Braun GP was bought out by Mercedes and became the Mercedes F1 team, Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team, McLaren, up with the exception of the final year of that relationship, was still treated like the works team. The key piece of that being, as the works team, they got their engines for free. Mm -hmm. And that was the big reason why McLaren made it well known in advance of the breakup that they were going to be looking for a new engine partner because they could not afford to pay, what was it? $15 million an engine. Something insane. <clears throat> In order to do that, it just, it was not financially viable for them. And that's why they ended up going to Honda because Honda promised them the works deal. And that went as bad as it did that they were so desperate that they ran to Renault. <clears throat> but here's the thing to remember about the Renault deal. Mercedes, or not Mercedes, McLaren right now is Renault's only customer team. Right. Just staggering. Well, you know, they have a reliability problem. It's not staggering. Well, it's more the fact that their performance and reliability has been so bad in this turbo hybrid era that the only reason why we're seeing Renault's on the grid was because McLaren was desperate and Renault came back as a works team. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they'd be gone. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Now, 
Mercedes insists that this is not the start of a new works deal for McLaren. They will strictly be a customer team and will be treated just like any other customer. So they get the same stuff as Racing Point and the same stuff as uh, Williams. The very same engines. Not a works deal. And McLaren insists that their decision to move to Mercedes is not because of a potential rumor going around that Renault could leave the sport after 2020. A potential rumor. That we had not heard until Zach Brown mentioned it. Huh? I was unaware. that. I mean, we knew that, that, that there had been... We, we knew that, that Renault leadership can't be happy with how things are going right now since the team has come back and how they really have not shown a huge amount of progress. So, But what? I hadn't heard that they might be pulling out after 2020. So <clears throat> what happens if they pull out in 2020? We only have two engines. It's like IndyCar. Yeah. Well, no, we would have three. Still Honda. Oh, right. You have Red Bulls and Hondas. Okay. We have three. Honda. We don't have four. We have three. We don't have four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Never mind. I retract, retract my IndyCar comparison. <laughs> but if you remember, when we started watching, Red Bull was the Renault Works team. Essentially, yes. Um, Toro was... Toro Rosso was bouncing back and forth between Ferraris and Renaults. Mm-hmm. Williams was running Renault engines. No, Williams has run Mercedes engines since we started watching. No, twenty twelve they ran Renault engines. Almost positive. Where's the great big book of everything? Pulling out the book of everything with everything you... inside. Are you going to sing the song? Are you going to play the the music? I might play the music. All right, let me find twenty twelve here. Hey, I know. We can look in the great big book of everything. Oh, I was hoping he'd say that. You can find out so much from reading. It's the great big book of everything with everything inside. See the world around us. This book's the perfect guide. That's quite enough of that. Thank you. But we also had Caterham on the the, uh, board, too, and they had their own engine. No, Caterham was running Cosworths. Well, Cosworths was... Right. But Cosworth wasn't running for anybody else, were they? Uh, they may have been... Marusha may have been running the Caterham as well. Or, or the Cosworth. Did Williams... Oh, you're right. Williams Renault. Thank you. Yeah, when they had Pastor and Bruno Senna. Mm-hmm. Williams' last win was with a Renault engine. Oh. I'm trying to find that. Oh, that's right. That's with the year that they went to. That was Pastor in the Spanish Grand Prix, but they were still going to Valencia. Right. Also, you know, where the, the European Grand Prix. Right. That was where Massa said that he really liked their oranges. No, that their wasn't Massa. That was, um, what's his face? The Japanese driver. Oh. Um,. The boy really liked the Japanese driver. And of course, you just closed the book because you would have found him because he was driving for Sauber. Korean Japanese. Ah, Kobayashi. Kamui Kobayashi. There you go. Yep. 
Oh, this is like a little run back down, you know, memory lane. <laughs> when Button and Weber and Maldonado all still were in the sport. Massa. And McLaren. John Eric Vern. And McLaren was actually doing halfway decent. Well, they were winning races because Lewis uh-huh. was winning. Lewis and, J- and Jensen both won races in 2012. Oh, yeah. So let's see here. 2012. Lewis won four races and Button won three races. That would have been seven wins for McLaren that mm-hmm. year. And I think it was only like a, a 17 or 18 race season. Yep. Uh, Toro Rosso was a Ferrari that year, by the way. Just yep. while I have the book open. Kimmy also won a race that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it was a 20 race season. It was a 20 race season? Okay. Ended in the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos. Yes, it did. All right. All right. I will put the book away now. The, the book will go away. Um, so we heard, we talked last week about um, some of the irritation that the drivers had expressed over the proposals for potential 2021 rules. Any changes that that might be coming around in 2020, maybe around qualifying races and reverse grids and all of that stuff. Well, to go and and I'm thinking get the drivers to shut up. Mm. Um, Both Ross Braun and Chase Carey met with the drivers um, on Saturday in Russia to have a conversation with them. So we they haven't really told us what was said or anything like that that's all private they have to keep that quiet behind closed doors well apparently they did because really all the drivers would say was well it was really nice that that the two of them came to talk to us and um yeah we'll see what happens and although lewis said that that um he just wanted to remind everybody that the whole reason that they're proposing this stuff was just as band-aid fixes to address the the known shortcomings in the rules Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they haven't really told us, other than the fact that the two of them have, have gone there. Ross Braun this past week did come out and say, well, you know, yes, we're talking about doing this stuff, but it's an experiment. We have to go and try, you know, if we don't try this, we don't know whether or not it's going to work or whether or not it's going to suck or whether or not you're all going to say, you guys are geniuses, which we're not, but they still, you know, won't believe it until they try it. Remember that year that they had qualified? But that was Bernie. So they can blame it all on Bernie, and they can come up with a whole new brainwave to do the same thing because Bernie did it before, and it's Bernie's fault that it didn't work, right? Oh, so that's that's the, the deciding factor is that since this is them and not Bernie, it'll work this time? They have de-Bernied the sport. They're not going back to Bernie. Yeah, this is <laughs> definitely weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> You know, I thought Ross Braun was a much smarter man than this. I am going to have to pick up the phone and call that man. I, I was, and I told you as we were watching the pre-race coverage over on Sky this morning, um, when I think it was Simon Lazenby who walked up to to Ross Braun and asked him about you know all the stuff. I was really, really expecting Ross Braun to do to channel another Ross. Ross from Friends and just look at Simon and go, it's an experiment. <laughs> yeah. We just want to do an experiment. 
Stop bothering me. He didn't do that, though. I was disappointed. He was very chill about it. Yeah, He's wrong, he but he was very chill about it. <laughs> so one of the other things that, that drivers are a little upset about, in particular, Carlos Sainz, um, he has expressed displeasure over F1 TV's directorial decisions, in particular the fact that um, they're not focusing enough on the mid-pack. Okay, this reverse grids stupid idea mm -hmm. signs talking about the mid pack signs. signs talking about the mid pack good idea this is the part where the powers that be and whether it's fia or the world feed directors mm -hmm. or whatever are making dumb choices and it's not that i don't want to see my front guy that i really like run every so often but the best passing in these races lately has been in the mid pack mm -hmm. so what caused uh carlos to spin up a bit was um somebody on twitter went and posted a clip at, at the end of singapore there was a four-way battle that was going on uh between oh where was it Sainz was part of a four-car battle for 11th on the final lap of the Singapore Grand Prix that was not included in the world feed. And some fan posted a link to the, this clip and said, you know, why wasn't this shown? This is epic on the final lap too. Four cars, Sainz, Ricardo, Stroll, and Grosjean fighting so close. And Carlos responded on, on Twitter because it had me involved. Oh, he thinks it's personal? He, he doesn't. Um, I think... It was more because of the fact that he was in the mid-pack. And because they're not focusing on the mid-pack, or they're not focusing for very long on the mid-pack, that we miss some, I mean, four cars fighting it out on the last lap. Mm -hmm. Big-name drivers, well, other than Stroll, big-name drivers, <laughs> and we didn't see any of it. No, because at that point, they were already, you know, following Lewis and... Uh, Seb on their cooldown laps because the race had ended. And I get some of it. I mean, it is a challenge of trying to figure out when do you show, especially if there is some drama at the front and there's a lot going on in the back, how do you divide the attention? How do you show the this tense standoff that's happening up at the front when you've got multiple battles going on in the mid-pack and especially at the back where it counts for no points whatsoever. Yeah, it's great action. It's visually cool. But that's not for the win. And I, I kind I, I get that piece of it. And also keep in mind, in years past, recent past, there was a lot of pushback that they weren't focusing on the front because Mercedes was taking it and, you know, they were six seconds ahead of everybody else. Oh, it was Red else. Bull, actually. It was Red Bull that was doing it. It was Vettel and Red Bull who'd go in and clear the pack for 10, 15, 20 seconds ahead of everybody, and they, we wouldn't see them anymore on TV. Well, they were doing that to Mercedes also here recently as Mercedes was taking off, and it was like, okay, the front end of the race is kind of boring, and they'd go and focus on the mid-pack. And mm -hmm. then you've got a sponsor issue because your guy is winning, but they're getting the least amount of airtime because he's winning so handily but okay so so here's where i have to ask that that very key question is the purpose of the coverage from formula one management's perspective 
is the purpose of the coverage to show the action on the track for the fans or is it to give airtime to the sponsors? So from Formula One management's perspective, it ought to be to show the action on the track to get and maintain the fan base Mm -hmm. because that supports the sponsors coming into the sport. And I think that's where the sponsors have to be mindful of their yes they're getting some degree of coverage from having their logos on the car but they are not guaranteed that is between them and the team not f it's not f1's responsibility it's not the world feeds responsibility to make sure that every sponsor gets airtime well and 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 that's why Yes, I hear that argument of, well, you know, if you don't show the, the, the lead cars, the, the sponsors who are paying top dollar to be on the lead cars aren't getting value for their money because they're not on TV. But in all honesty, if the lead cars are running away and that's not where the action is, to hell with the sponsors. Well, you, yes, they're important. Yes, they're needed. To hell with the sponsors. A savvy sponsor will have sponsorship on the winning cars and some sponsorship on the mid-pack cars. Well, see, that's the thing. That's where you don't go and sign a sponsorship deal with, and, and it screws the teams at that point. But that's where you do like a Pirelli or a Rolex or one of these title sponsors for the races is you don't sponsor a team. You go to Formula One and go, we want to sponsor your overhead signs mm-hmm. or your timing or whatever so that way your logos show up everywhere. I mean, there's a Pirelli logo on every single Formula One car. Right, because they provide the tires for every single Formula One but car. But not just on, on tires. No, I understand. Each I, car carries that. And I think there's one other sponsor also, and I don't think it's Rolex. I think there's one other sponsor that is on every other car in the series. I don't remember but, what it is off the top. But you think about something like Mobile. Mm-hmm. They, in total. 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 Um, you know, they provide fluids and oils and stuff for mm-hmm. the cars. And no, they're not on every single car. But one or the two of them is pretty much on a car. Uh, I don't know if BP is on any cars anymore. But there's a fluid person. So you've got um, Mobile, or occasionally it's Esso, depending on, on and that's on the Red Bulls. Um, Total is gone. Um, yeah, they didn't renew the deal with Toro Rosso. So they've been gone. Um, I don't remember who Renault had because Total had a deal with Lotus. But Renault used some, their sponsor was somebody else. They brought somebody else in for that. Um, I think it's Castrol that's on. It's either Castrol or Pennzoil. I think it's Pennzoil that's on the racing points. You have the Patronus cars. Um,. There's been rumblings that maybe Petrobras might come back, but you see Petrobras in Brazil when they go there. Oh, and Shell. Can't mm-hmm. forget Shell. Shell over on the Ferraris. So you've got uh, an oil, but they're typically on more than one car. Nope. They're exclusive suppliers for the team, and that's why they end up on the car. Hmm. So who's the oil supplier for McC- McLaren? I'd have to, you know what? If I pull up McLaren, I'd probably find it. So now you're going to make me do that work. <laughs> it's not in the great big book of everything. No, it's not. Uh, racing. 
Um, ha ha. Petrobras. Mm. It is, in fact, Petrobras. I thought they were across a couple of different teams. But there are some sponsorships that don't seem to be limited to a single team. Um, okay, Puma. They sponsor drivers. Puma is one. Um, also, Sparco you see pop up in a couple of places. Um, they're, they're the ones who tend to, to share some or, or provide some degree of racing kit. Um, yeah, you'll see that that show up. Uh, Richard Meal is another one who shows up in a bunch of areas. Richard Meal is also he's been on uh, um, the Haas cars. Yes, and Richard Meal may be on a lot more than just the Haas cars and, and McLarens. So yeah. Okay, so this lesson, this portion of the day, is that we agree with Carlos Sainz, we disagree with Ross Braun. And we think that we should see more cool racing action on the track. Yeah. And graphics that we that give us information that we care about. I will not go on that rant this week. I've gone Thank on it you. enough times. Because you went on it during the race today. It was pretty bad today. It was pretty bad today. All you wanted was an interval, and they gave you distance time to the leader, and mm-hmm. that bothered you it to did. no It was end. of no value to me. And I said I wasn't going to go into it. Don't make me go into it. I still like the AWS overtake. That is some fantastic graphic there. That is a that awesome one I graphic. Like. I wish they used it more often. Yeah. So, other rules. So, Daniel Kvyat, really upset going into the Russian Grand Prix. So, Daniel Kvyat had a special helmet. Since this is his home race, and, you know, it's been a while since he's been back, and you know, this race, it holds special meaning to him. And not just because Vladimir Putin said it had to. <laughs> if you'll remember. And his parents are out of the gulag? Well, they well now that he's driving again, they might be. <laughs> or at least they're at the gulag, but now they have heat. <laughs> Excellent. It's possible. A couple of extra turnips, you know. <laughs> oh. No, in, in all beat for borscht. No, where I was going actually was it was at the Russian Grand Prix that Daniel Kvyat earned his nickname of the Torpedo. <laughs> yes, but all of that aside, being that this is Daniel's home race, he wanted to have a special helmet to commemorate the this, and he had it designed uh, a, a red. It, it's actually it's a white, red, and blue helmet, not for the United States, but for the Russian flag. Um, and he was told he's not allowed to do it. Why? Because, as you'll recall, FIA sporting regulations only allow drivers to substantially deviate from their primary helmet livery at one event each season. Um, and he already used different colors at the Italian Grand Prix. Now, you'll remember when this rule was announced, what, three years ago, four years ago? We thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Yes. And after this, we still think it's the stupidest thing ever. But I'm pretty sure that there have been other drivers that have had more than one commemorative helmet. It depends on how substantially you change the design. Uh, You know, if you just go and move a stripe a little bit or something like that, not a big deal. 
but when it's a major change to the colors, that's your one time. You know, who else also got burned by this was Pierre Gasly. Mm. Pierre Gasly ran also a special helmet uh, in honor of uh, Antonio, Antoine... Hubert? Yes, Antoine Hubert. Uh, commemorative helmet around him, specifically in memorial for his, his death. He had been planning on running a special helmet for Japan and has now been told he cannot because he changed his helmet once already. Seriously. And... I'm sorry. I don't see enough of their helmets to like associate a helmet with a driver. I mean, I know Lewis's helmet has some specific things that are on it, but that's about it. But I know when this rule came out, we were talking about so many of these drivers have a special helmet per race and then they donate these helmets for fundraising. So the reason for this, if you remember way back when, the reason that they said for this was to make it easier for fans to recognize the drivers because they could see the helmets and the helmets should be unique to the driver. Mm-hmm. Now, back when this happened, we said it was a load of crap and we thought it was stupid. That's not really, you don't see enough of the, the helmet long enough to be able to go and use it that way. Um, but that was also before the Halo. Where their numbers are on the Halo. Well, their no, names. numbers numbers aren't on the Halo. There are some that have their identifications on the Halo. Right, but that's the in car. The in car, you can see right. that. You couldn't see the helmets before with the in car. Mm-hmm. So the in car piece didn't come into play. As a fan watching the race, okay, you don't see that, or, or even just watching on TV and watching the cars go by, you don't see the helmet. You don't see the number inside the halo because it's not the in car. They turn around and say, well, that was the reason why so that you could better identify the drivers. They put the halo on there. So you can't see the helmet. They made the numbers on the car much bigger. They made it a requirement that the numbers had to be bigger and on the side of the car, which we didn't have before. Mm Mm-hmm. It was unnecessary then. It's definitely unnecessary now. Poor Kvyat. It's not often that we go and sympathize with him, but this is one of those times that, yeah, I I gotta I agree I with mean, him a hundred percent. This is stupid. The sale of his special helmet could have like fed his family and turnips for a while. Well, to be clear, he could still do that because the helmet was made. Right. Um, he brought it to the garage and put it on display because he's like, I have the helmet. It's really cool. Everybody should see it. <laughs> so it was on display in the garage. It's just not a race-worn helmet. And I think he may have worn it during one of the practices just to say that he could wear it, but he couldn't wear it for qualifying or the race. So he could still sell it and raise money for his family to, to you know, get him a couple more turnips. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I just feel sorry for mom and dad caveat. Of all the changes for 2021, that should be in the rules package. Yes. Because it's stupid. Would you accept reverse grids to get rid of the helmet policy? Um, I mean, like, let, let's discuss, like, on the level of stupidity here. 
I would need to understand more. Would you accept a continuation of the virtual safety car to get rid of the helmet uh, policy? Yes. Ooh. Yes, I would. Because I know I, I, it's a known quantity to me right now. <laughs> I know what the virtual safety car I don't like the virtual safety car, but I know what it is. Okay. All right. I would not take a return to the 2016 qualifying. No one. Would. That would be a bridge too far. <laughs> would you <laughs> accept sprinklers on the track? Um, and get rid of the helmet policy. No, because that could be kind of as contrived as it is. It could be kind of cool. So you would you wouldn't Espec- accept, especially if the sprinklers were triggered by a blindfolded monkey, <laughs> an actual monkey. <laughs> oh, Bernie. Okay. Ooh. Um. What's our Ouch. next story? <laughs> what is Harry Potter doing? Because I can see your screen. <laughs> So, this weekend's race, and what should have been a fairly easy win for Ferrari. Four in a row. Yeah, no. Nope. This is, and and as this started to play out, I looked at you and I said, Ferrari's stupid driver management strategy is going to bite him in the butt. Yep. And the only reason why it didn't bite him in the butt is because Seb's car broke. Well, yeah, but it was going to bite them in the butt and Seb's car broke. So two things bit them in the butt. Yeah. So Charles Leclerc gets another pole position. Seriously? He's on fire. Um, Leclerc gets another pole position and freely admits that pole might not be the best place to be on this track. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a valid reason. So the concern is turn one isn't really a turn at, at, at Sochi because um, you can do it flat out, which means you have a really long run to the first actual turn, which is turn two. And Longest it, in the entire calendar. Did you hear that? It was the longest distance to turn two in the entire calendar. Well, which would make sense. I just want to point it out that it's the <laughs> longest. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Sometime. channeling my inner Martin Brundle. And, 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 but Martin Brundle was not on this weekend. Oh. Nice try, though. Johnny Herbert. My, my we inner... didn't hear Johnny at all. What? Who Who am I channeling? Uh, Probably David Croft. Crafty. Yes. All I know is I heard that like nine billion times. Almost like listening to Steve Matchett talk about tires. Or, or, or telling us that it's Spa and the Ardennes Forest. It that, can be raining. raining in one part of the track and completely dry. Yes. Every year. We got it, dude. Whether or not it rained in yeah. the Ardennes Forest. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when you have a long run like this, you have the ability for the aerodynamic toe. And what is the aerodynamic toe? If you haven't heard it, figured it out by now, because, you know, Monza is pretty well known for it and several of the other tracks. But when you get that long straightaway, you have the car in front that punches a hole in the air. And basically there's that low pressure wave behind that car. That means that the cars following the lead car get more speed. Correct. In a nutshell. This is the first year. Well, I don't remember talk of a toe in Sochi in previous years. 
It's the first year I remember this much talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the concern that Charles had is being the lead car with that long run, he's giving a tow to the cars behind him and puts himself at a disadvantage even though he's on pole. Correct. So the, the way it played out, and if you haven't watched the race, why didn't you watch the race? Um, but the way it played out was exactly as Charles thought. He goes tearing off from pole. He creates that little pressure wave behind him. Sebastian Vettel jumps into the toe. Now, I will stop you long enough to tell you that Sebastian Vettel got an incredibly good quick start off the line, too. He did. Okay. Sebastian grabs that toe, denies it from Lewis, and then slingshots around Charles to take the lead. Correct. Not long after this happens, and, and Lewis actually had a pretty craptastic start but he knew he was going to he was on a different strategy he had medium tires that were not going to grip as well okay, yes yeah okay, but, but i was wasn't going to expect carlos saints to almost overtake well actually he did overtake him he just couldn't hold on to it correct but I mean, it wasn't the kimmy raikkonen start that yeah. was awful yeah that was pretty bad kimmy should have known better um but not long after Seb takes the lead. We have incident in the back of the grid and safety car comes out. Mm-hmm. So we had a fairly long safety car period there. Yes, we did. After that, we get our restart. Seb's off into the lead and we start hearing talk about Ferrari switching drivers. Yes. Before lap 10. It's lap 5. And that's where it got ridiculous. I do not understand why they thought that that was the right time to switch the drivers. Yeah, I I, I don't understand that part. I mean, it would have made sense to me if at that point we didn't know that this was the official. As much as there was there was the talk about, well, I trust the team, and, and this seemed to be something that was that was arranged. It didn't make sense to me as to why you would swap your drivers that early. Mm-hmm. That's what made no sense to me. Well, it turns out, according to Mattia Bonotto, that was the plan. Really? The plan from the very beginning was that they understood that the toe was going to be a factor there. And the goal was for Seb to get a better start and to be able to grab that toe before Lewis did and deny it from Lewis. And as part of doing that was the understanding that Charles was going to be at a disadvantage at that point. Seb was going to have the speed and was probably going to be able to overtake him. And that when that happened, if that happened, Charles was not to fight the overtake, was to allow Seb to pass. And the agreement was at some point in the race, they would swap the positions back. But that's at some point in the race. That's not right. five laps. And I think that's the problem. So, Mattia Bonotto has, has confirmed the strategy. Okay. So, what Mattia said. He said, looking at the past races in Russia, we know that it's important to be ahead at the first lap. Normally, if you start first, you may finish first. As a team, obviously, the victory was key, so we decided that the most important thing was for us to be first and second at the first lap. 
because we would have controlled and managed the pace and controlled the positions, which is what was happening. And without any reliability issues, certainly we would have kept positions after the pit stops. Being first and second was the first objective. We agreed together that the best way was not to give any slipstream to Hamilton first, and therefore Charles would have given the slipstream to Seb. That was what we agreed. By giving the slipstream to Seb and not defending the position would have given an advantage to Seb, which later on in the race we would give back by swapping the cars. So that was the deal. I think what happened was exactly what was explained. They got a good start. Charles stayed on the left, Sebastian jumped Hamilton, and was then in the slipstream, in the slipstream of Charles. Um, the start went as planned, and therefore we thought it was right to ask Seb to swap positions. We initially asked Seb to give the position back, but fair enough to say at that stage of the race, maybe Charles was not close enough, and we would have lost some time on the track. Later on, Seb was quite fast and gained some advantage on Charles. Now, he also insists that the undercut that was done with Charles wasn't to swap the positions. He says that the undercut was because Charles stopped because he had well-worn tires. Left rear was starting to be worn, so it was the right moment for him to pit. We knew as well that if we stopped both our cars, there, there we would have been vulnerable on safety cars by leaving the lead to Hamilton. We tried to stay out as much as we could with Seb simply to protect in case of safety cars at that period of the race. I honestly think that, that the leaving Seb out and um, also the fact that his pit stop was a half a second longer than Charles, um, I think that was to force the switch back. Because I don't think it, it at that point they, touched, they trusted Seb to give it back. And I don't think it would have been right to expect it. Mm -hmm. Just like I didn't think it was right for them to ask for the switch then for the exact same reason that he said that they decided not to do it because A, Charles was too far back and B, they were going to lose time to allow Hamilton to get closer, time that they would have built up if they did it later in the race. Right. It made no sense. The only logic of getting it done early is that it, you eliminate the argument that says, but I've driven, you know, I've put 10 seconds between me and my teammate, and thus I deserve the lead. I would have overtaken him. Look how much faster I am driving. So now you're expecting me to to give it back to him Yeah. when, you know, 20 laps in, he's not there. So... When Charles was asked whether he still had faith, uh, he still had faith in Vettel honoring agreements like this. After this played out the way it did, Charles's response, he said, "Yeah, I think the trust doesn't change, and I think we need to trust each other, Seb and myself. I think it's hugely important for the benefit of the team in some situations to know that you can count on the other car and vice versa." So yeah, I think it's very important, but yes, the trust is still here, which I think is kind of surprising. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, I think this is where Charles is wrong. Right. Just knowing how Seb has conducted himself in the past, yeah, he did once this season. He, he swapped positions when he was told to. I can't see him doing that on a regular basis. 
Okay, but how much of that do you think is the company line? And what the reality is, is I'm not going to trust him again. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, we'll know in a race. Yeah, you'll, you'll know how it's going to play out. But I think at some point, Charles has to say, yeah, sure, I really trust him. I think it, it'll all work out. And in the back of his mind is like, no way in this world am I trusting him again. Well, what Seb had to say in, in this whole thing, first time he was asked about it, he said, I think I stuck to the agreement. Obviously, it was a big shame because I think we had a good chance today to finish first and second. He was then asked again on his view after Mattia Bonotto had come out to the media and given the explanation that we just heard. That's where Vettel turned around and said, I think on my side it's best if I don't say anything. I think Mattia gave an explanation which is valid, so let's leave it there. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So other Ferrari news. Yes. So we know right now that Ferrari says that they are not in full agreement with the proposed rule package for 2021. Correct. Mattia Bonotto further went on to say this weekend that, first, we have got the veto right, and it would be a shame to use it. That's a reminder that Ferrari, the way the rules are written, have the ability to veto any rules proposal. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't think that's the intention. I don't think that's what we are looking for. More important is to be very constructive. We've still got a month's time to address the fundamentals by the end of October. If the regulations will not be fully satisfactory by that time, I don't think it will be a drama because we still have time to address and approve them. But he also went on to say that it would be a shame for the team to have to use its veto rights to veto changes to the championship rules. And while, yes, technically he is correct, it would be a shame if they had to do that, the veiled threat there I am fairly unimpressed with. It would be a shame. It would definitely be a shame if they actually had to do that because they didn't get their way. But here's the thing. They hold supreme power in so very many ways. And when was the last time Ferrari won a championship? Yeah. And, you know, remember, they're not the winningest constructor in F1. No, they're not. Just saying. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to deny that Ferrari and Formula One are very closely tied to each other. Mm -hmm. And the identity of both organizations are very closely tied with each other. But giving Ferrari this ability was wrong. It is the FIA Formula One championship. It is not the Ferrari FIA championship. Like I said, even with Ferrari's veto power, they have yet to field a car that can win the championship in double-digit years. Yeah. So it's a veiled threat. It's it's a not-veiled threat is what it is. But let's remember, I don't think that that's going to guarantee Ferrari an upper hand. See, now, is this what happens 
when Harry Potter goes over to Lord Voldemort? Yes. <laughs> yes. This is what happens. Like that one. I really hope that his Halloween costume is Harry Potter. <laughs> and I really hope that his wife's a redhead. Oh, man. So anyway, in other news. Yes. Toro Rosso has submitted a, a request to uh, FIN Formula One to change the name of its entry. Yes. Um, they are requesting to change the name to Alpha Tori. So where this comes from is um, Red Bull two years ago launched a fashion label. They so did. aware of this. How do you have an extreme sport fashion? I mean, like, do the clothes self-destruct? I mean, do they parasail? I mean, Red Bull's all about these extreme sports. And now we got a fashion line? Like, is there tech in their clothing? What's the deal? I don't have the details on that part. I mean, if you think of just the the gear around the X Games and all the other things that, that they do, they could, it, it could just be a line of gear for that, for those sports. I don't know. Now, what Puma has to say about it, I don't know, because Puma makes a lot of their branded stuff, and maybe that's how it's, I don't know. But... They want to change the name to Alpha Tori because of the clothing brand. So one of the things that, you know, it makes sense when I heard it explained to me, but I didn't quite realize it is why, where the Toro Rosso name came from. You know, obviously, it's Italian for Red Bull, but there's a little more to it than that. Oh, okay. So as you'll remember, Toro Rosso was originally the minority team. Mm-hmm. So now you see the Italy connection. Yes. Minardi, um, there it was the original headquarters in uh, Italy, and I just lost the name of it. I know where they're at Fanzia, in Fanzia, Italy. They kept the headquarters, rebranded as Toro Rosso, in Italian, in um, honor of Minardi and the Italian team, and Toro Rosso for Red Bull. Got it. Makes sense there. Now the Alpha Tori doesn't quite work for me nearly as well i don't know if i could you know seriously call a team alpha tori but you know i'm also still having a problem with the alpha romeo team so you know i don't mind the alpha romeo team i don't okay racing point stupid racing point is definitely or or better yet the sport pesa racing point f1 team racing point is a stupid name and it's so stupid that I listened to the Sky Sports coverage call them uh, Force India the entire day today. Everybody does it. So our last story. And I see it is my absolute favorite topic. Tires. No. All I was going to point out is that at uh, Friday practice, both Friday practice sessions, uh, all of the teams at the U.S. Grand Prix will be given... Uh, two sets, uh, we don't know what specification, but two sets of tires for the 2020 season that they can run at any point in the Friday practice sessions. Okay. So yeah, just throwing it out there. Okay. That's all I got. I am making no comment on tire choices. So Alpha Tori. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the Alpha Tori. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. Is it? Will it be easier to see? That's the problem. Is 
because it starts with the same alpha as Alpha Romeo, you'll have to be forced to call the team Alpha and then the other team is going to be Tori. I mean, like, what are you going to call? Because we always tend to call it by part of the name. <clears throat> That's why Racing Point is such a bad name. Formula One team names should be one word. Whoa. Okay, so I have just gone to the Alpha Tori website in English um, with the recommended products on the first page. Mm-hmm. So we have the padded Prima Loft leather jacket with Torex, which I'm assuming is the filling. Okay. 699 euros. Three, but it's leather. Okay. 3D knit cashmere blend hoodie. Cashmere. 249 euros. Cashmere. Hoodie with 3D embroidery and Torex. Women's. 129 euros. Lurex long sleeve top. 119 euros. Y- yeah. Are, are, well, I'm assuming this must be marketed to Euro Trash for these prices. Because holy crap. Okay. Um, I'm going to mention this. You don't exactly go shopping for clothing very often. True. You don't know how much some things cost these days, considering we just bought you jeans and you complained about them being over $50. True. Hey, they have a, a store in Salzburg and Graz. Okay. If you find yourself in Austria, you can go to Alpha Tori. And pick yourself up a $700 leather coat. That doesn't have any Red Bull logos on it. Well, because it's not Red Bull, it's Alpha Tori. All right, how much is the knit cap? Uh, well, I was going to... First, the flannel shirt with cargo pocket, 99 euros. Okay. So it's a little pricey, not as eye-watering as some of the other stuff. The knit caps, uh, 49 to 59 euros, depending on the design. Okay. So expensive... But not nearly as eye-watering as the $700 jacket. Or 700 euro jacket. Right. On that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.